1: Wednesday is the nothing personal word of the day on a Monday, September 19th, 2022. Wednesday is my word of the day because that is the new Shabbat. The new day of rest is going to be Wednesday for Tom Brady. Word came out that he doesn't have to work on Wednesdays at all. He's getting the day off. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, in an effort to get him to put him out of retirement, have made all sorts of gives to the Brady camp. He got to go away in August in the middle of spring training to do the Masked Singer. (laughs) No, he didn't do that. He was in the Bahamas. Someone finally found him. I can't believe no one took a picture while he was there. It could have ended all of the drama about where is Tom Brady. But now... The Buccaneers are doing something far worse than giving a player off during spring training or during training camp. You cannot go into your locker room and have a team where every member of the team is treated one way and your quarterback who's 45 years old, the goat, seven rings, the man is treated differently. And I am going to get a lot of debate on this, so I want to make sure that you are able to understand my point of view very clearly. I acknowledge that Tom Brady's old. I acknowledge that he needs some time for load management, that he shouldn't be in pads every practice. I acknowledge that he should get some amount of special dispensation. But you cannot... Oh, I also acknowledge the quarterback is the most important position on the team. But you cannot differentiate and make different rules for Tom Brady and expect that your team's going to be okay. So here's how it works Players publicly say, We've got your back, Tom. He's the GOAT. We're just happy to be here. We're so happy to play with him. But that's not what they're saying in the locker room, that's not what they're saying to their agents, their friends, their family when they get up and have to go to work Wednesday and they know there's a player who's not there, it starts to eat away at the fabric of the team. The resentment grows, the biting, sarcastic comments grow, the blame gets shifted when the team doesn't perform. Now, they came out and won their game this week. What a week of football, by the way. What a weekend. But in any case, so They won their game, so you're gonna say, everything's good, right? But over the course of a season, this has serious consequences to the makeup of your team. So why does an organization make a decision like that? They make it because they had zero leverage in the re-signing of Tom Brady. In getting Brady back from retirement, they had to give him everything he wanted. It is known what's going on with his personal life, with his professional life, And the fact that the team acquiesced to this desire shows the power of Brady and the power of the player. But picture Wednesday comes along. You have a game. What happens if they play a Saturday game? I haven't looked at their schedule, but let's say they do. Or let's say they have a Monday game. Wednesday's practices are not nothing. They're meaningful either recap of the game prior or putting the game plan into place for the game next, the game following Every day of practice in football matters. It's why you can only play once a week. You need your body to recover, and you need to put in a new game plan and then practice that game plan prior to your next game. So I guess the backup quarterback takes reps with the first team for one day a week and then goes back to the second team. Tom Brady walks in on a Thursday saying, all right, I'm ready, guys. I took my kids to school. I feel good. I put in my family time. I am not saying you choose work over family however many times I actually did that, all the time. I'm saying that it's our job. Such an unpopular point of view, Coca. That's our job. There are plenty of people whose jobs take them away from their families. Plenty of people do not have the work family balance. How do you define those people above all? Through their success, through their money, through their jewelry, through their drive, dedication, devotion. There are no scenarios under which any player can have different treatment. Barry Bonds used to have his own chair in the clubhouse. He had a reclining chair in the clubhouse, and his teammates hated it. Hated it. Remember when Roger Clemens was allowed not to travel to road games where he wasn't pitching during the series, didn't have to go? The Yankees had to acquiesce to that. Crushing. It's not like we force people to choose money, fortune, fame, fame accolades and jewelry over family it's not like in our society this is what we say everyone gets to make his her their own choice tom brady said i'm going to play again well you're either playing or you're not playing oh i'm just gonna play sundays there's no baseball player we'd allow to say hey yeah you could take sunday off no problem but david tom brady's not missing a game he's just missing a practice We've never let one player miss a workout, miss a pregame, miss infield, miss BP. It's your job. It's what you get paid to do. I don't really care that his family didn't want him to come back. And now he's got to go hang out with his family Wednesdays and try to make, try to make them believe that he's choosing them over football. Obviously, he chose football over you. Get over it it happens. Infuriating topic. The Buccaneers will not win this year. They are not going to get a ring. You can't get a ring with that divide in the clubhouse that's festering like the ghouls in Ghostbuster 2. A couple other things I need to mention about the football week. One of the things that in baseball, here's the comparison of what happened to the Ravens, what the Dolphins did to the Ravens, what the Jets did to the Browns, what the Cardinals did to the Raiders. It's the equivalent of a blown save. It's when you have a lead going into the ninth inning, let's say it's more than a run, two runs, three runs, that's still a save. You're expected to win the game. There's always a chance you're going to lose, but the overwhelming majority of the time, 99% of the time, you're going to win the 1% hit in three different games. And it exemplified to me why I never wanted to run an NFL team. Can you imagine being a Raven or a Brown or a Raider and not being able to erase this game for a week? In baseball, when you have a blown save, you get right back on the horse. You go home, you come back to the ballpark the next day and you've got a game. There's only like 15 days off in six months. You get a game to redeem yourself, to feel better. Now, it means the wins don't last as long, but neither do the losses. And I would always rather be in a position where I can erase losses because they eat at you. And now Lamar Jackson has to stare at his defense for seven days, although at Coke, I actually don't know when the next play, but I'm assuming they're a Sunday game. He has to stare at his defense For seven days. Saying, are you kidding me? It's so fickle, all the fans of these teams. Everyone who's saying, I don't know if Coke even watched the game. He may have, may have not. I'm sure in the up to the end of the game, it was look at Lamar, MVP type of guy, how great he is. Ravens are awesome. Love you, Harbaugh. And then they lose. And what are you saying then? Like, oh my God, the defense sucks. You don't want to blame it on Lamar, right? You know, if Lamar could play safety, do you think he would? If he could be a defensive back? Maybe that's the way he'd guarantee to win MVP every year. If he could be a two-way player, be an all-pro quarterback, pass for 3,000 yards, rush for 1,000 yards, and have... Four interceptions with a hundred tackles. Can you imagine any player going two ways? Nobody can do that. Like maybe in college or high school, maybe like in your dreams or Sports Illustrated can make up a character and baseball who can both pitch and hit. It doesn't happen. Nobody can be a top of the rotation starter and a top of the lineup hitter with power. Of course not, that doesn't exist. You'd have to be insane. Okay, what else struck me this weekend? The Cowboys are for sale. They're going to get $29 billion in a sales transaction, and A-Rod is buying them, combining with Jeter to buy the most famous and valuable franchise in the world. It hasn't been public yet, but they're not getting any outside investors. A-Rod and Jeter are putting their money together. They're getting all the money of all their wives, girlfriends, and ex-girlfriends. And they are going to give $29 billion to Jerry Jones. That will be one of the great, famous transactions of all time. I don't know who's going to run the team, whether it be Derek or Alex. I mean, Derek's 0 for 1. Alex is 0 for 0. Maybe you give it to the guy with experience, or maybe you give a guy a chance who has no experience. How come Jerry Jones spends every day telling you that he's never selling the team? Isn't that weird? It's like when someone is, uh, when you own something, like a piece of memorabilia, anything that you own and you always say, it's not for sale. I love my house, it's not for sale. Hi, my name is Erwin Fletcher and I would like to buy your house for $5 million. Oh, I don't even need my boxes. See ya, everything's for sale. It's just a matter of price. You think Indecent Proposal was the first time we discovered that it's not a matter of whether a person or a thing is for sale, it's a matter of just price? You think it just took that movie to have you all thinking about it? Jerry Jones has this valuable team and he literally, that's not true, 469. Jerry Jones has this team and he figuratively stands on a boulder every week and says, I am not selling. Have you ever heard of estate taxes, Jerry? How are you going to work that exactly? I'm just wondering. I think the more he yells from the top of the boulder, the more likely it is that he would sell the team, even though all he does is tell you, I'm gonna die with it. They're gonna carry me out horizontally from my office. I always like that expression. People, when they're in their house or in their job and they're so happy, they say, I'm so happy here. This is my last stop. I'm gonna be carried out horizontally, which obviously refers to you having to die in a house and them coming, the coroner coming and taking you out in a basket, casket. All right, Coca. We have so much baseball to get through today. We're going to get to uh, the Sunflower seed-eating guy because I've never seen anything like it. But first, we've got a So You Want to Talk to Samson. You know what I want. <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So You Want to Talk to Samson. Do you know what? Someone sent me a tweet at David P. Samson, and it was a link to a artist or a dj or someone who does a set or his name or something is called you want to talk to samson but it's got a p on it so it's not me i have no p ask me any question on twitter i may get to it good evening david good evening that's a dead giveaway as to when you're writing the question if and when minor league teams are lost due to the recent unionization What adjustments will MLB organizations need to make in terms of scouting the draft and player development? Thank you and have a great weekend. No, no, thank you, and I didn't. I mean, parts of it were absolutely fantastic. Other parts were less than optimal, suboptimal. Sick as a dog yesterday, I got the third booster. It's important, you gotta get it. But man, did I get sick. Okay, MLB and minor league unionization has been a topic that we've covered on Nothing Personal. We are a bit on an island because everyone believes what Major League Baseball is saying in their statements that we're very happy they're unionized, this is great, we can't wait to work work with them on a new CBA, blah, blah, yada, yada, yada. I've been saying it, I'm gonna say it until I am freckled in the face that there will be a change in how minor league baseball is operated. There will be a change in the number of minor league teams that are affiliated with major league teams. A change that started last year and the world did not stop spinning on its success. Do you remember when MLB, what you said, contracted minor league teams and what I said is unaffiliated those teams. Those teams still exist. They're just not affiliated with the major league team anymore. They're independent league teams. That did not impact how you... Scout your players. The way scouting works in the minor leagues is there are people who are hired who are given either divisions or regions. Divisions mean, hey, you've got the NL East. That means you're going to be scouting the Nats and the Braves and the Marlins and the Phillies and the Mets and you are gonna have their system, which means that you're gonna go to single A, double A, triple A, and you are gonna make sure that you write up every player who's a prospect, so when we have to make a trade with that team, we know who our trade targets are. That's why you scout other teams' organizations. There are people who scout your own organization, but those are called development people. Development people are the people who teach your players in the minor leagues to hit, to pitch, and to play defense, among other things. Coaches in the minor leagues will tell you that they spend as much time on non-prospects as prospects. They're not telling you the truth. Coaches will tell you that they spend as much time on lower-level draft picks than on higher-level draft picks. That's not true. We give our coaches a list and here are the players who we need to move through the system and get better. Make sure you are giving them your time. These players are fringe players. If they prove that they can make it, great, but we're not spending resources on them. And if they don't make it, fine, we'll release them. The non-prospect fillers get ignored altogether. The names don't even come up. Development people, major league people, minor league people, you don't talk about them. They're not going to make the major leagues. You don't waste time. So the way things are going to change with fewer teams is there'll be fewer non-prospects on your team, each minor league team. And the reason that impacts development is the development people are focused on a smaller number of players on their team. If you have fewer teams and more prospects on each team, you are going to need more coaching. You're gonna need a bigger staff. And that's something that baseball was thinking about when they agreed to this unionization. The reality of what it means, the reality of what it means to lower the number of affiliated teams and maybe combine single A and double A, combine double A and triple A. You really only need two teams. There is no organization who has more than 52 prospects. Forget the top 30 list that you read. We don't think about that at all. So you add more coaches because you've got more players who require your attention. The scouting doesn't change at all because you will scout by division, by system. So if there are fewer teams, that scout has fewer teams to watch, but then you supplement that scout's work year by telling that scout to go to the independent leagues. We've got scouts at the independent leagues. We did. You're looking for the diamond in the rough. You're looking to find value in a player who is down on his luck, who's trying to recapture the glory in the independent league, or a player who just got overlooked by all teams and you see something that no one else sees. So scouting, development, development, the draft they're not going to change in the way that you think the draft is an easy one the draft you are putting players in your system in your first 10 picks your first 15 picks your first 20 picks who you expect to make it but they don't and we secretly know that so here's how the draft works just a little behind the scenes when you're signing your fifth, sixth and seventh round pick and you're giving them out of slot money because they dropped in the draft because they're two way players, they play two sports or they're threatening to go to college or whatever the reason is and they've dropped down several rounds. You sign them, you give them a smaller signing bonus than they would have gotten in the higher rounds. But that player, no matter the age, goes into your system right after signing and that player becomes one of your prospects in a 20 round draft, every player drafted is a prospect. So keep in mind the other thing that unionization has done is it has prematurely ended careers of fringe players. The non-prospects forget about. The prospects are having their career no matter what. The fringe players are the ones who are gonna get hurt by the smaller number of teams in each system because there are gonna be fewer jobs for them and they're gonna to have to go to independent leagues to prove their worth. And when you're in the independent leagues, you have to be even better than when you're in the minor leagues to prove your worth. Because the view of teams is the competition is inferior. The player, this is a fake run, if you will. You have to overcome so many more obstacles when you're raking in the independent league than if you're raking ranking in double A. That's just the inherent bias that scouts have. So when your question is, what adjustments will organizations make? Everybody's always making adjustments to assignments for scouts, to little things they're doing with development, to coming up with the Marlins way or the Cardinals way or the Red Sox way. You try to write it down in the manual to show players what you expect of them, what you think they're going to turn into and how you're gonna get them there, what steps they need to take. All of that has existed, will exist, and it has nothing to do with the unionization of the minor leaguers. So the short answer is, adjustments are always made regardless, irregardless. Don't get me started. Adjustments are made regardless every single season. It has nothing to do with unionization. All right, we come back, we're gonna review a movie that you are going to love. And during the break,
0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: Welcome back to nothing personal. It's David Sampson. How was your weekend? Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, following all the things you're doing for nothing personal. Believe me. Thank you. Keep going. So I was looking for a movie to watch. And I came across this documentary called Chasing. It was a paid documentary, let's say, $6.99. I can't remember what I paid. And I read in the description that it was a documentary about a man who has the world record for rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. And my first thought were the rowboats that I used to use in camp when you went fishing. They had the big benches, Right, A small bench at the end of each side, at the front and the back, and then wider, longer benches in the middle. And you sit there with your feet in little puddles of water at the bottom of the rowboat. You've got the wooden oars that are attached by these sort of circle clips, and you are trying to row while trying to catch fish or whatever it is you're trying to do. I said to myself, wow, I would not go across the Atlantic in that. So then I turn on this movie called Chasing and I learned that Jason Caldwell is maybe the most accomplished athlete that I have, who I have come across in my career. This is a man who combined with four people in 51 days to row across the Atlantic and was so angry that one of his teammates got sick, one of his teammates quit, so angry that he finished a four-man race with two men but didn't get the world record, so said, you know what? I'm coming back again. And the next year, he had a new team put together. Spoiler alert, they kicked some serious ass. So I'm watching this movie, and I get a first look at the rowboat. It is not a rowboat. It is like a James Bond capsule of amazingness. There's little machines everywhere, not motors, because it's an unmotorized crossing of the Atlantic. There's a little tiny cabin for each man to take two-hour naps. They row all day and Lionel Richie, baby, all night long, nonstop, in storms, no problem. Hey, batting down the hatches. Ah, forget it, we're rowing. The minute I finish this documentary, I said to Coca, please reach out to Jason Caldwell. I want to have him on a Samson sit down. I want to talk about these endurance events that we all do because he takes it to another level. I wanted to talk about training. I want to talk about what it's like when he's with his family after a race, before a race, the insane sacrifices that you have to make to be great. Guess what Jason Caldwell doesn't get? Wednesday's off. There'll be a sit down with him later this week. I don't know which day, Thursday or Friday. And I would say that you should watch Chasing before you listen to the sit down. The interview will not be a recap of the movie. It's gonna be an in-depth conversation about some really cool stuff regarding endurance and how you can trick your brain and body into doing things it did not think possible. Chasing with Jason Caldwell. Check it out. I'll tell you who's chasing right now. How's that for a transition, Mr. Cooka? The pirates are chasing winds the way dogs chase rabbits at the track. They get so close and then psh, the rabbit takes off. When you've got a team that you know is bad, you know is in the middle of rebuilding, you've hired Ben Sherrington as your GM, you've hired Derek Shelton as your manager. PNC is not new anymore. The revenue and the attendance for the Pirates is horrific and it is a vicious circle. I am not going to invest in the team until you invest in us. I'm not investing in you until you have shown that you've invested and brought a winner. And around and around you go. When you've got a team who's going to lose 100 games, and that only happened to me once in 2013, you've got to keep your players focused because you're playing for the future. You're playing for next year. Free agents-to-be who are not in your plan should not be playing on a team that has already started playing for next year. Those games are supposed to be used to develop players at the big league level to give them a taste of the winning and the losing, of the rhythm of the game. The Pirates keep stepping in it though. The Pirates are the team that had the player that slid into third when his cell phone came out. Yeah, the guy who got suspended for a game, he was a Pirate. Now they've got a player, Cabrian Hayes, and I I can't even say it with a straight face because I've never seen it before. It was like seeing the most beautiful canvas by Van Gogh that had just been discovered in an attic somewhere where you open your eyes and you say, oh my God, the world is now a better place for having found it. Well, the world is a better place to have seen Cabrian Hayes, he of the new extension, eating sunflower seeds while the game was being played. I don't mean what all players do, which is in between pitches. Vladimir Guerrero, Sr., by the way, what he used to do, and I always found this to be so disgusting, and I would talk to him about it, and his English was good enough. He would take the bag of sunflower seeds and pour it directly in his pants, bypassing the bag. Meanwhile, in his pants is schmutz galore. So he sticks his dirty fingers, he's playing baseball after all, in the game, in between pitches, in his pocket, shoves them in, and then spits out, he de-seeds them and then spits out the shells and eats the seed. Do you know in Montreal, we used to have a specific grounds crew person who was charged with cleaning up his area in right field after every game? Because it was, you could tell, if you had any question as to where Guerrero was going to play you defensively, all you do is look at where the sunflower seeds are. And back then, they weren't shifting. There weren't cards they were looking at. When someone hits the ball, you catch it if you can. And then you get it back to the infield as quickly as you can. A shout out to my ninth grade baseball coach and English teacher, Harry Balt. Harry Ball taught us in baseball, very simply, on every play, every player is doing something. And I took that lesson with me all the way to Major League Baseball. We had to memorize a book of positions. Every page was a different scenario. One on, two outs, ball hit to third base everybody's moving. David, why would a left fielder move on a fly ball to right field? Who's going to back up third base? Why would a right fielder move on a ground ball to left field? You got to back up either second base or first base. Everybody's moving. Because Brian Hayes was playing third base Escobar of the Mets was running around third to score on a hit and run from first. He's two feet off the bag toward home, and Hayes is eating sunflower seeds with his glove not on. He should have been at third base in case we wanted to throw behind the runner. Why am I making this an example right now? I wanted to explain it to you. The Pirates showed you why their organization is struggling when after the Cabrian Hayes situation, their manager said, the one thing I will share about our conversation is that in that play, he should be closer to third base. And we talked about that. If you watch Cabrian 99% of the time, he's in the right place defensively. This again was an outlier play. We talked about where he should have been and he took ownership of it. Are you kidding me? Derek Shelton, you're fired if I'm the president of the Pirates. That's not either publicly or privately what we're saying about this situation. You don't have to have the back of your player who just signed a $70 million extension, who you're building your team around. You make him an example. I was extremely disappointed that Cabrine was not fully into the play. We don't have many rules in our team, but one of them is that we are focused until the play is over. He has to learn that with money comes responsibility, and it is his responsibility to be a first-class trier. You're always trying. A first-class harder. You're always playing hard. Maybe if we're lucky, a first-class successor meaning you're good at what you do. Instead, Shelton was so nervous about upsetting Hayes that he said the only issue he had is that he was out of position defensively. That's the least of your issues, Pirates. The least of them. What makes a player think that it's totally fine in the middle of a play to have your head in the stands or to be getting phone number from anybody in the stands. Or to be eating, drinking, sleeping. You've got a job to do. And this was not a Wednesday game. So Hayes didn't have an off day. Pirates fans are so upset. They are so done with the Pirates. Little nugget to all you people out there in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Bob Nutting is not selling the team. You might as well get it out of your head, okay? Are we good? Yeah, I think we are good. <laughs> Sunflower seeds, please go watch the video. It can't be. I said to Coca during the pregame preparation for the show, because he's taught me that every video on TikTok and Instagram to be cynical about it, because most of them are not real which is amazing because I just assume people are filming really cool stuff when it happens. I never see cool stuff, like walking down the street and seeing some guy put a basketball in someone's hand, soccer style, and have that person hit a huge shot and then almost get run over by a car, dropping the mic and running away. I never see that. 108 and 81 nothing personal pick of the day. We went two and one last weekend. Friday night, can you imagine? It could have been three and zero. I got cute. I had the Mets in the run line over the Pirates. They only won four to three. So the money line would have been a victory. Run line was not because we were giving one and a half runs and only one by one. Saturday, we had the Braves over the Phillies. It happened. Aaron Nola, you are not an ace. Sorry. Philly fans, You've done great under Rob Thompson. He is going to get some manager of the year votes, no doubt about it. But Nola's still not an ace. So I'm watching the Packers game last night, all nervous about giving 10 points. Watching Chicago march down the field. Watching Aaron Rodgers. Did anyone watch that game when Rodgers got to the sideline? Go look for the video. It's pretty good. He gets a hat because some quarterbacks take their helmet off and put a hat on. And in order to put his hat on, he had to do a hair flip because of his new haircut. So he did this flip and then put his hat on and it just drove me crazy. But we won the bet. We had the Packers minus 10 over the Bears. They won by 17. So we're 108 and 81. Coca spent half his weekend answering one of your questions in a so you want to talk to Coca. And here's what he discovered. You were all asking me about my picks of the day and what it meant in money. Because if I pick, according to you, if I pick a minus 400 favorite every day, then how is that adding value? Well, it adds value if that team wins, doesn't it? So Coca did a spreadsheet calculation. If you have taken every one of my nothing personal picks of the day since January 1st, you would have won 108 bets, you will have lost 81 and you will have pushed twice. If you bet $100 on every game, so if you're the underdog, 100 could pay 170. If you are the favorite, then betting 100 means if you win, you only win, let's say 50. But if you bet $100 on every one of my nothing personal picks of the day, guess what you have today, all you cynical naysayers. $1,188. $1,188. More than 10 times your money. We are bringing it on nothing personal. Now, you got to live through the cold streaks. So you have to have enough cash to make it because you're going to get cold. But I've been H O T buster poindexter recently. I am staying away from the Monday night football games. I could not come to grips with any particular side of any of the games. If anything, I'd do Buffalo, but I'm not. I'm going to baseball, big series between the Mets and the Brewers. The Mets have a magic number to clinch a playoff spot and it's one or two, likely that they can clinch it against the Brewers. You win one game against the Brewers, you get two points in the clinching calculation because the team chasing you lost and the team that is ahead won so it really counts as two changes in a clinching scenario. So if the Mets beat the Brewers tonight, they're in the playoffs. Look for a very muted celebration because their goal is to win the division. Once they win the division, that will be a far bigger celebration. However, the, Mo- the Marlins, come on, David. four sixty nine eighty four. 84 However, the Brewers are also involved in a race for the wild card. They're looking in from the outside. They're looking up at the Padres, maybe only a game and a half out of the Phillies now, two games back of the Padres. Phillies have lost a bunch in a row, not guaranteed to make the playoffs, even though I said they would. Big game. When you've got your ace going, you got to win. The problem is the Mets have their co-ace going. It's Burns over Scherzer. Both teams, it's like even, minus 112, minus 104. We're taking the Brewers. And we're going to keep track of our kitty. So at the end of the year, you'll know how we did. But right now, 10 times your money. Not too shabby. How many times in the show are we going to talk about Steven Strasburg? He's that pitcher for the Nationals who helped them win the World Series back in 19. He got a World Series MVP. He got a beautiful ring, and then he got a beautiful seven-year, $245 million contract because Scott Boris said to the learners, hey, you're going to win a World Series and let your MVP go? You can't do that. You're going to get crushed publicly. And the learner said, oh, well, I guess you're right. I guess we got to sign him. Scott said, you're not just going to sign him. You're going to sign him to 7245. Oh, no, that's way too much. We can't do it. No, no, no. Fine. So happy on ring day. First day of the next season. COVID. COVID. We've got Strasburg. He has pitched eight games. Why did I just put up a four on the Nothing Personal channel? Four times two games. That's how many games he started since he signed that deal. This is the third year of a seven year deal. He's done. And this weekend he came out and said that it is possible that his career is over. So many of you have reached out and said, does that mean the nationals save the money? Can they reallocate it? And the answer is we don't know whether the nationals got insurance. If they self-insured, they get no payout. Self-insured is one of two things, right? It means that I take this as two ways. Self-insured is, hey, we're not taking out insurance. If we, if he can't pitch, we are gonna make sure we have enough money on the side to sign a replacement. We're still gonna have to pay him, but we'll go out and sign a replacement. That's self-insured. Another way to do self-insurance is to take out the, the premium every year Invest it, and then if you ever, ever have a player who is out for an extended period of time, you can take the investment earnings to help defray the extra player you need on your team. Because that's the incremental difference. When you sign a player and that player gets hurt, you are paying that player that amount, whether he's hurt or not. The incremental difference is you've got to fill a major league roster with that spot of the player who's injured, and that player's making $700,000. If he's playing for a month, he's making $125,000, whatever the math is. Mm -hmm. Sounds like peanuts, right? Not at all. Regular insurance is when you go to a company and say, hey, we're signing this player. We're going to want insurance. Well, any pre-existing conditions? Well, he's got a problem elbow. He's got a bad shoulder. Uh, Sorry, we can't insure him. Well, do you want to give him your own physical? Yeah, we'll give him a physical, but I'm telling you right now, we're looking at his injury history, and this is a terrible bet on behalf of the stakeholders of this insurance company. But if you want us to insure him against a leg injury, we're happy to do it. If he misses a year or more of time because he stubs his toe, we are there for you. Just pay me my premium and my... My vigorish of about a hundred grand a year, and we will cover his salary for a stub toe. Now, if he's got a shoulder problem, thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, or some sort of elbow issue, good luck. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Straussburg's career being over is a total nightmare. They got Boris. All right. The Nationals are in the news again, not just for Strasbourg saying his career's over, but when it rains, it pours, right? Word came out that the Nationals are in danger of losing Nationals Park. Huh? How can that be? The Nationals are a tenant to Nationals Park. That ballpark was built with 100% public money. That ballpark is run by the public. I don't mean the everyday baseball operation or stadium operation, but the rules that govern are government-based hey govern government the Washington Nationals when they got the team and got the new ballpark there was a promise made and the promise was the old development promise we are gonna build around this ballpark and it's gonna be awesome how many times have you heard the promise about the chop shops in New York Every once in a while, you get the Ballpark Village and other places, but in Washington, DC, the nationals who made a great promise to get public money, shockingly, have not stuck to their promise. And they are using the greatest excuse of our lifetime. Say it with me, what is the greatest excuse for not doing that which you're responsible to do financially? One, two, three, COVID. The nationals are claiming to their local government that, hey, COVID changed everything. We can't develop all this land. We don't, there's no office space. Maybe we'll do some retail, convention center, hotel. It's too much. We don't see it working. The price of goods is too high. Supply chain is too tapped. And our revenue is too low. We lost a full year of revenue. Therefore, we cannot spend extra money. The government said, guess what? You promised it's in the agreement for all to see. We've got to enforce it. And if you don't develop the land outside Nationals Park, we are going to shut down Nationals Park. What does that really mean? When you first open a ballpark, you get something called the TCO, which is a temporary certificate of occupancy. The reason why it's temporary is there is no stadium that's built in time. There is no ballpark that is built in time to get your permanent certificate of occupancy prior to the first game being held and the first audience gathering being held at that ballpark. That temporary certificate of of occupancy is supposed to be held on a short-term basis. The Nats have been playing under a TCO since 2008. And the government finally said it's enough. We are not renewing your TCO. And the only way we're giving you a permanent CO is if you develop and follow the terms of the deal that we're agreed to. This comes across the commissioner's desk and he says, well, this is only gonna impact one or two home games. Because by the time they get it together, they set a September 30th deadline. But for the lockout where we had to extend the season, there weren't going to be any games in October, especially for the Nationals this year. But now we have a chance where we'll have to move these home games. So the commissioner's calling up the Lerner family and saying, hey, what are we doing here? And you know what the Lerner family is saying? No problem. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. If it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. These governments are threatening to shut down Nationals Park. N-G-T-H. Not going to happen. It's great for a little bit of leverage, but when you're dealing with real estate people who understand the finances of this development, when they say they're not willing to do it, it means it's going to fail. These people didn't become billionaires by failing, they became billionaires by choosing what deals make the most sense with the highest likelihood of success. And if the adjacent parcels to Nationals Park no longer make fiscal sense, guess what? They're not going to do it. There will be no missed National Games this year. The government is not gonna bring embarrassment onto itself. That's who this would look bad to the government, not the nationals. The nationals are being completely smart and not wanting to start a project that won't finish. Hi, David Tepper, I'm talking about you. Not They're, they're smart to not start a project where the profitability is not there. It's funny. They walk into a meeting with the government and just say, hey, we're not doing this. It's just business. Sorry, government.